1: Hey, all Welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, Pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, the drug of the day today is gabapentin, but before we get into that, uh, want to make sure you guys go check out reallifepharmacology.com. I've got a free 31 page PDF on the top 200 drugs simply for subscribing, uh, to the podcast. We get you email updates when we've got, uh, new content available. Uh, so definitely don't hesitate to do that and get your free uh, PDF of the top 200 drugs. Great study guide and review. All right, let's get into that drug of the day today, and that is gabapentin. Brand name is Neurontin. And if you have been around since the beginning of the podcast, I did cover this in combination with uh pregabalin. Uh, but I wanted to, to dig into some of the specifics about the drug a little bit more, and it has been four years since I've, I've done it. So, uh, anyway, uh, let's go through mechanism of action quick. Mechanistically, gabapentin binds and affects, uh, voltage, voltage-gated calcium channels. Uh, more specifically, if it comes on, up on an exam or something for you, um, it is the alpha-2-delta-1 subunit. And this action, by binding there and, ha- and having action on voltage-gated calcium channels, uh, is theorized to slow or modulate uh, excitatory neurotransmitter release and or action. So ultimately, gabapentin is more of a central nervous system depressant. And mechanistically, that's how the medication works. Now, what would we use this medication for? uh anecdotally probably 70 to 90% of the time uh gabapentin is used for various pain syndromes and primarily uh neuropathic type pain uh so obviously you know nerve pain shingles uh fibromyalgia you'll see it used for sometimes uh postherpetic herpetic neuralgia restless leg syndrome Uh, that's where you're going to see it used the most. And if you happen to stumble into a patient who's on gabapentin, it's probably for that reason. Now, with that said, there certainly are exceptions to that. Gabapentin is classified as an anti-seizure medication. Uh, It has been quite some time since I've actually seen it used for that, Uh, but that is uh, what it's classified as. So not incredibly common that you're going to see it used for that, but can be. Um, anxiety and psych related issues, I have seen it used some there. Um, menopause symptoms occasionally, uh, where we've, we've tried and failed other therapies maybe. Uh, rare things, uh, itching, uh, alcohol withdrawal, I believe I have seen occasionally as well. Uh, but again, pretty, these are much, much less common indications, uh, and we're gonna focus mostly on the pain related indications there. Uh, dosing. I want to uh, tip on that a little bit. Uh, three times a day is what the typical dosing is going to be. Uh, you will see that backed off a little bit based upon renal function and or if pain is at a certain time of the day. So if a patient has restless leg syndrome and it's only at night, probably makes sense you're only going to see gabapentin once a day at night in most situations. There. Uh, As far as pain management, if you need pain coverage all throughout the day, uh, you're probably going to dose it three times a day. Again, unless maybe they have some renal impairment. And the reason being for that is half-life is around five to seven hours, typically for gabapentin in most patients with uh, somewhat normal renal function. Adverse effect profile, sedation, dizziness. Those are the two major ones that you're going to see with gabapentin Uh, sedation and dizziness can obviously be a significant problem in our elderly patients particularly those at risk for falls so we obviously you know try to minimize the use of gabapentin uh, and if it's necessary we try to uh, minimize the dose uh, minimize the duration as much as possible there Uh, other adverse effects edema weight gain i have seen this occasionally would say it's not as common as, as sedation and, and dizziness, but uh, it can occur there. Uh, anaphylaxis, uh, more on the rare side of things, of course. There have, have been skin reactions reported, uh, and behavioral changes as well have been reported. Uh, maybe more so in pediatric patients. So anytime you start a new medication that works in the central nervous system, uh, probably a good idea to, to pay attention to any uh, type of unique or abnormal uh, behavioral changes. Tolerance and dependence uh, has been reported to develop with gabapentin. Um, it's important to note that uh, stopping the medication uh, there certainly are reports of withdrawal symptoms, or some patients can experience that. Again, probably depends upon the dose and duration of use. If you've got a patient that's on higher doses, they've been on it for years, uh, that might be a patient that's more likely to experience withdrawal sy- symptoms. So, unless you have a compelling indication to stop it quickly or a severe adverse effect to, you know, abruptly stop the medication, uh, it's advisable, in my opinion, uh, to taper that medication uh, when possible. Uh, of course, with a few exceptions. Some of the withdrawal symptoms that you might see um, if you go too quickly on reducing the dose, or abruptly stop it, or patients uh, maybe forget to take it, uh, or or go on vacation and they don't have it, for example, um, anxiety sweating, confusion, irritability, a lot of those kind of overlap with opioid withdrawal. So if you kind of lump those those two together, um, in my opinion, opioid withdrawal is probably a lot more <laughs> severe and significant um, than gabapentin withdrawal, but again, might depend upon the patient, the dose, duration, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, with that tolerance and dependence risk, again, not crazy risk, not like, you know, morphine and oxycodone and some of the um, Schedule II uh, controlled substance opioids. Uh, However, uh, the DEA has not categorized gabapentin, at least at this point, uh, as uh, a controlled substance. However, know your state laws. Uh, There are some states that have uh, categorized it as a controlled substance that need to be you know counted and audited and, and so on and so forth if you're working uh, within a, a healthcare institution. So uh, important to pay attention to that uh, and obviously know your uh, state and federal uh, rules and regulations if they uh, change. Uh, kinetics, I alluded to a little bit. Um, shorter half-life, five to seven hours. That's, that goes with the multiple uh, daily doses typically. Uh, it is primarily eliminated through the urine. Very, very important to recognize that as patients age. Renal function typically declines. Uh, I've had numerous patients in my practice where uh, gabapentin has certainly had to be reduced over time. Where maybe they tolerated gabapentin at the current dose they're at, and they're in their 50s and 60s. Not an issue, but you know, as they approach 70, 80, uh, maybe that dose that was tolerable before for them is no longer that way so pay attention to that uh, that gabapentin can certainly accumulate as renal function declines it is virtually uh, or significantly eliminated through the air and that's its primary way uh, of being eliminated from the body absorption is the other pharmacokinetic parameter that i absolutely wanted to talk about so When gabapentin is taken orally, uh, immediate release, the drug requires basically a a transporter to get across the gut or it uses a transporter primarily. And with that, uh, that transporter can become what's called saturated. So basically there's a bunch of drug built up on the inside of the gut and only so much uh, gabapentin can get through. So what that means is, as you get to higher and higher doses and try to push the dose, giving a significant amount of gabapentin at one time, that percentage absorbed goes down. So basically, you don't get as much bang for your buck as you escalate the dose, or you may not get as great a response as you think you might as you escalate the dose of, of gabapentin. And I've got some numbers here to, to back that up. So at 900 milligrams per day, uh, the percent absorbed is 60%. At 24 milligrams, 2,400 milligrams per day, so it'd be like 800 three times a day, uh, that percent absorption is 34%. So you know, we went up on the dose maybe a you know a time and a half, uh, and the percent absorbed went from 60% to 34%. So it almost got, got cut in half. So again, just goes to that theory of you're not going to get as much bang for your buck as you um, escalate the dose of gabapentin. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for pharmacist board certification study material like BCPS, ambulatory care, BCMTMS, geriatric exam, NAPLEX if you're a pharmacy student, uh, go check out meded101.com slash store, i I've also put links in the show notes to this podcast episode. Uh, in addition, if you're a nurse, med student, uh, PA, nurse practitioner, other healthcare professional, Uh, I've got links to books in the show notes for this episode as well. Uh, So go check that out. Uh, Find something that's going to fit your practice. There should be something for everybody there and uh, support the podcast Real Life Pharmacology. All right, let's get back and talk about drug interactions. So gabapentin being primarily renally eliminated, that is a typically a good thing as far as drug interactions go uh, from a metabolic standpoint. So we don't really need to worry about the liver much with gabapen. So CYP3A4, CYP1A2, CYP2C19, uh, we really don't have much cause for concern there, which is nice when it comes to, to monitoring drug interactions for sure. However, there certainly are some additive effects that could happen. So uh, CNS depression is the one I think of all the time. Uh, opioids are probably the highest risk agent uh, where we increase the risk of sedation, uh, you know, CNS depression, respiratory depression, uh, and obviously opioid overdose type symptoms when we use these medications together. So if you're going to give gabapentin to somebody on opioids, you really got to watch for that closely and be really cautious with dosing. And maybe if you're adding gabapentin, maybe we can try to uh, reduce the opioid burden that they're they're currently taking. So um, yeah, use those meds with, with extreme caution. There's definitely uh, warnings in literature and literature and all that sort of stuff uh, regarding the combo use and how it does um, increase the risk for uh, drug overdose other meds, of course, that can have additive uh, CNS depression type activity. Uh, So Z-drugs like zolpidem, for example, uh, tricyclic antidepressants that have, you know, anticholinergic activity. Uh, Same thing with first generation uh, antihistamines like diphenhydramine, Uh, alcohol, benzodiazepines, Lots of drugs uh, that have that CNS depressant type activity, and using gabapentin in combination with those could have that additive type effect. Uh, another additive type effect uh, to think about is uh, edema. So, I, I mentioned that as a potential uh, adverse effect. So, adding gabapentin onto somebody taking pioglitazone, taking NSAIDs, for example. This is going to potentially exacerbate that edema worse. Okay. Always depends upon dose, you know, and and that type of thing as well. Um, But using multiple agents together that have similar adverse effects, uh, you can uh, possibly expect that it's more likely you're going to run into those adverse effects. Uh, Heart failure, I did want to mention as far as kind of drug disease interactions. So knowing that gabapentin can cause edema. Uh, It it is possible that heart failure symptoms and fluid status could be worsened by gabapentin. Uh, So definitely pay attention to that. And in particularly thinking about the polypharmacy world and the prescribing cascade, what I've seen happen in practice numerous times is gabapentin started for pain or whatever indication we're using it for. And shortly after that, within week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, we get Lasix furosemide either started for fluid retention and or increased for fluid retention. So that kind of goes, that's a perfect example of the prescribing cascade. Um, I've put tons of these examples in my book, Perils of Polypharmacy. Uh, that is a, a wonderful book for anybody um, I'm obviously biased, but it's a wonderful book for anybody that works in geriatrics frequently and, and polypharmacy patients. Um, go check out, uh, yeah, Perils for, for Polypharmacy. I don't think you'll be disappointed with all the examples that you'll either learn or re-remember. So uh, go check that out for sure on, on Amazon. All right, that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, found it helpful, leave a rating, review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Of course, share us with your class listservs, students, preceptors, uh, teachers, uh, anyone in the healthcare space who could benefit from a little pharmacology education. So please, please, please uh, share the podcast with those folks. If you want to reach out to me, suggestions, comments, mededucation101 at gmail.com. Please support the show uh, by checking out those links in the show notes. And of course, uh, track me down on LinkedIn as well, Eric Christensen, Farm D, BCPS, BCGP. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.
0: Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or Seven Up, all with your card.